of the Giants guys. The guys are in the lab hanging out with two-time Super Bowl champ, David Deal. Right now, right now. Woo! What's happening, people? Guess what? It's another episode of the Giants guys brought to you by Play Pickup. Make sure you go to nygiantsrush.com and play your favorite New York Giants pickup. Uh, and the props are all there for you to have some fun. Now, uh, I gave Mikey Fresh the night off. I gave Carl the night off. Uh, Spartan Mike is in the, is in the uh, lab with us. The truth is in the lab with us. And as I promised, you guys did not think I would come through, but I always do. It, well, let's welcome in uh, two-time Super Bowl champ, David Deal. What's happening, David? What's up, boys? Nice to be on with you. Nice to be on with some loyal Giants fans, as <laughs> always. You know, as I've always said, in, in my 11 years as a player still now, there is nothing that duplicates the fans, the loyalty, the passion, and uh, I absolutely love it. That's why I never left any uh, anything off of the field. I always left it on the field. And most importantly, that's why I was a giant for my entire career. No, that's that's awesome. And we uh, we've interviewed a, a bunch of your teammates, your friends, and we 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 always have fun. We're never there to get anybody or do we? We just have some fun. That's why it's the Giants, guys. So I'm going to start off with a couple softball questions for you. All right. I love to look at, look at, you just work just like your typical New York media. You know, we're going to keep this fun. We're going to keep this light. I'm going to throw the softballs at you first. I love it. Before you even got into this figure, I've been in the New York media market now for 17 years. I've been pretty much asked anything under the sun. So Believe me, people are going to ask what they want to ask. And right now for Giants fans, they deserve the right to ask these questions. Yeah, it's well, that part of it, we'll, we'll hold that part of it for a yeah, second. Hold a second. Because right? <laughs> we want to, we want to, we want to talk about you like a little bit, because I mean, there's some really cool stories I've gotten between, you know, Blackburn and Soybert and, and Dominic Hickson. I always ask them one or two questions about how they got to New York, because everybody always wants to know how you get there. And I'm looking at, you know, you're, you know, you're coming out of uh, uh, Illinois. You're a fifth round draft pick. So the first question is, yeah. is it no big deal to come to New York because you got big Chicago in your backyard or is it still a holy shit moment? Well, I mean, obviously when you get drafted by the New York Giants, it's a holy shit moment. How can it not be? <laughs> you know, and, you know, for me growing up on the South side of Chicago, staying at the university of Illinois, which was two hours South of Chicago, mm-hmm. It was perfect. It was far enough from home that it was college, but it was close enough to home to where my family and everybody could come and support me. And I knew I wanted to stay in the Midwest. You know, for me, as far east as I ever was before becoming a giant and getting drafted was Penn State. That's as far east as I've ever been. But, you know, obviously being a fan of the game long before I was a player, you know about the NFC East, you know about the New York Giants, but it truly wasn't that big of a surprise to me. You know, granted, at the time going into the draft and draft day, April 26, 2003, it's not like I remember it or anything. (laughs) It's on the wall. Going into that day, day, I I never would have guessed in my million of years that the Giants would have drafted me. I barely spoke to anybody. I met somebody my senior year that came through. During the combine, I was at a table with 25 people (laughs) 
I talked to Coach McNally, Jim McNally, who was my rookie coach for maybe 10 minutes at that table. But the key thing for me was I played under Ron Turner, obviously North Turner's younger yep. brother. I ran a pro-style offense my five years at the University of Illinois after redshirt my freshman year. I was versatile. Obviously, I played every position at Illinois, just like I did in, uh, for the Giants, except for center. I mean, my junior year in one game at Ohio State, I started the game at left tackle. I had to move the right guard because a right guard got hurt. And then at the end of the game, I played right tackle because a right tackle got kicked out of the game. So being versatile was something that I was used to doing, not to mention we used to watch Giants offensive line and run game cutups when I was in college. Okay. So when I was drafted by the Giants, Jim McNally and my offensive line coach, Harry Heastan, who's one of the best college coaches of the offensive line. You could go to Zach Martin, Mike McGlinchey, all those Notre Dame guys are Harry Heastan guys. So I was trained with the techniques and fundamentals needed to play in the NFL. And even though in college it was a detriment being the almost six man because I could play everything, it was almost like the most beneficial thing to me because I didn't have the wear and tear on my body. And that's the reason why I was able to play 11 seasons for the New York Giants. But the funniest thing was is getting drafted by the New York Giants. I get that uh, opening day of the draft figure that time. It was three days. Yep. April 25th was the Saturday. Sunday was the, the next day. that, or, uh, Yeah, it was Saturday, Sunday. So it was two days. So the way that they did it was everything was Saturday, first rounds, second round, third round. Sunday was four through seven. I knew I wasn't going to be a first day guy. They said I'd be a second day guy because of, you know, not just being a, a starter for four years at Illinois. So the fourth round comes around, and it's getting closer towards pick 120. And my phone rings, New Jersey, and it's Coach Fossil. And Jim Fossil's asking me questions, talking to me, and he goes, it's going to be between you and possibly a corner at number 120. Keep your line open. I'm like, okay. Think, think, number 120 comes up. Rod Babers, University of Texas. I'm like, shit, doesn't look like I'm going to be a New York Giant. Fifth round comes around. I get a call at probably pick 154, 155, and it's Coach Fossil again. Hey, you like that joke we played on you in the fourth? We're going to turn in your card for 160. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was real funny, Coach. That was a good one that you laid on me. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's right when it opened up my eyes. And, and sure enough, dink, dink, mm -hmm. ticker comes across and – I couldn't have been more proud and more happier to be a New York Giant, and I knew that it would be a great transition for me for that sheer reason. Knowing the offense, understanding what it means growing up in Chicago, coming to New York and New Jersey, what it means growing up in a big city and how sports impact everybody. Yep. Uh, it was something that I, I could not buy more into right from the get-go. So, so you were the first player since, since Bavaro in 1985 to start every game as a rookie. How do you pull that off? Now, I'm assuming what you just told us was preparation. You went in there already watching all those cut-up, all those film uh, film sessions. You already had a good background on what they yeah. did, but it's not easy to step on the field, regardless of error. You're stepping on the field and actually starting, like I said, for, you were the first person, first player to do it since 1985 with Mark Bavaro. How do you pull that off just walking in as a rookie, not knowing – anything and starting every game well number one I, I could tell you going back to understanding the terminology the offense and the sophistication of a pro style offense you know when we had that first rookie minicamp when we were all together 
you know, you had your first big team meeting room. And then once they split us to offense and defense, and it was figure only the rookies in that room. I'll never forget on the big board in front on the whiteboard on the left was all the run game. And on the right were all the pass protections and Jim Fossil, coach Fossil stands up in front of the room. And he's like, does anybody know, you know, this stuff up here? I'm the only one that raises my hand. Nice. It's like, all right, deal. Come up here. I go through and I go for all the protections, which she asked me to go through. I go through every single protection, who the offensive line has, who the running back has, who the tight end has. I go through everything on the board and I go to the left side. He goes, what, we draft Isaac freaking Newton in the fifth round? Go sit down. <laughs> and the minute that I turned around, you should have seen the faces on everybody in the room. They were pale white. They're looking at me like, how the hell do you know all that stuff? Yeah, you just made everybody one, in the room look bad. Boom. I just Well, number one, now I know that I know the playbook and I can just switch around terminology. Two, now it allows me just to study the intricacies of defenses. I mean, okay. you can run your game, especially in college, you know, you're a split second off. You can recover. In the pros, you're a split second off. You're yelling, look out, Eli, and it's going to be an absolute disaster. So being able to turn around and just focus on individual matchups with players and start becoming a professional early, that truly, really benefited me. And having a guy like Rich Soybert next to me, you know, I'll never forget the first day of training camp, like running sprints and doing stuff and him calling me over to run with him. That was one of the greatest things that could have ever happened to me because right away he's like, I saw something in you just like somebody saw something in me. I needed to bring it out of you. So that started to happen. And all throughout training camp, all throughout training camp, from the first day all the way until the end, whether it was nine on seven, whether it was blitz period, whether it was me and Soyberg or just me, I got into a fight every single day with the defensive line. Every single day. Love it. I get into a fight with them, and now all of a sudden we get into week one of the NFL regular season. We get done with nine on seven. Nothing's happened. We get done with blitz drill, nothing. I look over to Keith Hamilton. I'm like, hey, Hammer, what's the deal? Nothing going on today. We got no scrubs. He's like, deal, you passed the test. You're good. You're one of us. They fought me every day just to test, see what my man would was awesome. in order to be a starter. And once I broke into the lineup, first regular season practice, first nine on seven, they call a run play right behind me. Kerry Collins, Tiki Barber, Amani Toomer, Everybody just looks at me dead straight in the eyes. And from that point forward, I don't care if I'm a 21-year-old rookie. I'm not going to let them down knowing, not knowing what to do, not knowing what my assignment is. Yeah, you're going to get beat. That happens on the NFL game field. But to not know what you're doing, to have an excuse and not be prepared, I, I was never going to let that happen. That is a great story. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that oh, is yeah. a great story. All right, how about this one? And then I'll let these guys jump in. How do you get to 66? Because when we interviewed Carl Banks, right, I mean, I was rolling. He was telling me how he wore, you know, 54 at Michigan State. He shows up the first day. Of camp. There you go. Spartan there Mike is. is wearing it. He shows up. He goes to the equipment room, and there's Andy Hedden standing there looking at him. And he says, and it, this is, I'm quoting Carl now. He says, yo, homeboy, you want 54? 30K. He's, he says, he says Carl, Carl Banks looks at the equipment manager and says, whatever's in the bag, just reach in and give me something. He pulls out 58. You know, that's the end of the story. 
I wanted to make sure I looked it up. Okay. 66 was the year before you were there was, was Jason Whittle. He wasn't the year that yeah. you came in. So 66 was open. Nobody in 2002 or three had 64. How do you get to 66? Just something new? Yeah, you know what? Obviously, I was 64 all throughout high school, all throughout college, everything like that. That was my number. And when I did come to the Giants, there was a guy on the practice squad at that time, a kid named Sean O'Connor out of Syracuse. He was a guard. So he had 64, but they offered me. They're like, you know, you could talk to him and probably get the number, but we've got 61 available. We've got 62 We've got 66. I'm like, 66. I'm like, I kind of like it. I'm like, I kind of like the double number. So I'm like, hold on, let me get a look. I put it on and because my height, my frame, it just looked natural to me. I'm like, you know what? Screw it. I'm like, I'm taking 66. I'm rolling with the route 66 from here on out. <laughs> and to be honest with you, you know, now looking back at me, look wearing 64, it looks weird to me. Yeah, I, I would kind of agree because when I look at your college photos and then like, I again, I've, uh, I've been a season ticket to holder since 1984. I've seen every yeah. snap you've played. <laughs> I, I don't think I can see you wearing 64 either, but I had to ask because Banks had us rolling. Yeah. I mean, he's like, he's like, he actually thought I was going to give him 30 grand. Anyway, good story. Uh, go ahead. Hey, on. I just got to tell you this one. Speaking of 64, Think about it. Just go back to Michael Strahan's retirement. What number was Jesse Armstead wearing with Strahan on the back? Number 64. That was Strahan's first number when he came to the Giants. Oh. And Strahan's like, I look like absolute garbage. And he Never went to the equipment room and grabbed a different number out. But Strahan's initial number was 64. No, again, another great story. I had I did not yeah. know I knew that. That's yeah. Knew awesome. That. Go ahead, Spartan Mike, jump in here. I know you got something. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave, first of all, I'm sitting in uh, I'm sitting in Chicago right now, man. So I did the reverse of you. I grew up in the East Coast, <laughs> Chicago, and, you know, I know you went to uh, Brother Rice and everything. I understand yeah. the whole football atmosphere. My question for you is this. Uh, in 2004, Joe Theismann says you guys are the worst offensive line in football. Yeah. By 2005, uh, you got Tiki Barber to 1,800 yards. And throughout the entire late 2000s, you guys really had a solid, consistent unit that I felt like we never had to worry about as fans. What was it that got you guys from the 2004 worst in football to 2005 where you guys are playing at an elite level every game? And, and, no, and, Spart- and, and Tiki almost won the rushing title that year. It was 1860, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. He missed it by Sean Alexander by like, I don't know. 10, 20 yards. Yeah, it was something short like that. Yeah, it was, it was close. And you know what? For us, you know, none of us forget that. Joe Theismann saying that we were the worst offensive line in the NFL. I mean, that's a game that your preschool teacher's sitting there watching. She's like, wow, they're that bad? Like, <laughs> they, they may not know anything about football. But when they hear that from Joe Theismann, that's going to open up everybody's ears. And from that point forward, there's either two things. You can buy into it and you can sling forward and have doubt in yourself, or you can pick your fucking chest up and work and move forward. And that's what we did as a group. From that point forward, during the offseason, every single offseason workout, we worked together. Every run or conditioning drill, we ran together. You think about in 04, that's when we got O'Hara coming in. That's when we got Snee coming in. 05, that offseason, that's when we got Kareem coming in. So we started to build that gel and that camaraderie that, you know, no matter what happens from this point forward, whether it's the other 10 guys in the huddle, 
whether it's the other guys on this roster or if it's from anybody looking from the outside in. From this point forward, we're going to be the five guys that are going to cling together like glue. And for 60-plus minutes, we're going to fight to and through the whistle, and we're going to lay it all on the field. If you do that, like I said earlier, you can walk away from a single regret and not leave one on the field. The worst thing that you can do is whenever you lose, don't lose the lesson. You can always lose something or learn something when you lose a football game. But if you're not prepared, if you have self-doubt in a game that's physical and it's all about reaction instead of overthinking, you can walk away and you can build on that adversity. If you don't and you're walking away, man, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have studied more. I wish I would have been in better condition. That's when it starts to linger like quicksand. And you're going to see yourself out of the NFL real quick. So as a group, that's where we have that mindset that we're going to turn things around and it's got to start with us. And once you start building those starts together, once you start doing that during the offseason to where Rich Soiber and I easily work thousands of double teams to footwork together going into a game, that's what builds that confidence. And when you're on the road, crowd noise, all that stuff, and you can play non-verbally with signs and signals next to each other, that's when you truly excel and you take stuff off of the quarterback and everybody else in the offense. So 2005, um, Jim Fossil gets replaced, right? Or 2004, Jim Fossil. 2003 was his last year. Yep. And then what's the difference between Fossil and Coughlin? Is it another day at the office, <laughs> right? Or is it or is it I, culture shock? Uh, it's, it's culture shock. Figure I'm young, though. I just came from college. I'm a fifth-round draft pick. I'm 10, 15 minutes to things early anyways. But it was completely different from the time that Coach Fossil was my head coach in 03 to the culture change of Coach Coughlin in 04. I mean, talk about five minutes early, being on time, everybody wearing the same exact thing. Schedules for Coach Coughlin, detailed to the second, one minute, 35 and 20 seconds. Like he had everything strategically mapped out. You had no wasted time in a day. And when you had veterans, unlike myself, like I said, I was just a rookie the year before, that were so used to a pattern, it's no coincidence when you start losing and you're in that same pattern, it starts to build up and it starts to go in the same direction. When Coach Coughlin came in, he completely changed the culture of our football team. There were no more scholarships, regardless of where you were drafted at. Full pads every single day laid on the line, and let's see who the real ball players are out here. Because you could have everybody running around during minicamp and during spring ball. Everybody looks great when they don't have shoulder pads and they're just wearing a jersey. But let's see how you look after the first day of hitting and second day of hitting and third day of hitting. And, it, and it's 95 degrees outside. From the boys. And it's Absolutely. 95 degrees outside, right? Oh, yeah. And in the middle of Albany where there's not a single tree and shade in sight. <laughs> oh, all right. Um, last one for me, and I'll hand it to you, uh, Truth, is, um, you know, you – you won not one but two Super Bowls. It's we, We've interviewed at least 15 of your teammates, right? Yeah. And I love asking this question because there's a handful of you guys that made both Super Bowls. It's hard enough to make one Super Bowl, let, let alone two Super Bowls. You went, hard enough to make one and win it, let alone yeah. make two and win both. By the way, against the Patriots and Tom Brady, yeah. right? Yeah. So first time around, and I'm looking at my notes here, you know, you've got Toomer and Burris, and then it becomes Nixon Cruz. You know, yeah. you've got Strahan and OC, which becomes Tuck and JPP. Uh, as a fan, or even covering the team, you know, we look at it like, wow, those are two totally different teams, right? Yeah. 
but yeah. they're still coached by Coughlin. As a player, are they the same team with different personnel next man up, or are they completely different entities because of the of the you know the engine that runs it is different? I mean, they're they're little different entities because you're talking about different people, different personalities, you know, on each one of the teams, different styles of leadership from players. You know, where the 07 team was so much vocal, you know, there were some players on the 11 team were just as good as leaders, but they led by example. And it wasn't all about being vocal. And I think that's the one thing that, yeah, there was different personalities. There wasn't the big Michael Strahan like in 07 that was such a dominant character, which was such a benefit for us. I mean, shit, you see Strahan before a two-minute warning, before the last drive of a Super Bowl talking to you, it makes an impact. It impacts yeah. you as a player. So that's one part of it. But I really think when you look at the nucleus and the gel of both of those teams, number one, we had veterans that have been battle-tested through adversity, have been through it all, that were on the 07 team. But we're also on teams that went 4-12, and 6-10, and 8-8, and eight, and understood <laughs> what it took to get there. But we had that veteran leadership to bring younger guys along going to Indianapolis where every single one of us, our practices in Indianapolis started 15 minutes early, even with Coach Coughlin doing anything. Horns blew early. Guys were ready to go. Thursday and Friday, not a single ball dropped the ground when it came to the wide receivers. And there were only two penalties on Thursday, none thrown by the officials on Friday. That's how dialed in we were going into that football game and ready and prepared to play. But the common glue between both of them Offensive line that's going to push people around and fight, and a defensive line that's going to be able to get after the quarterback. So great segue, uh, Michael Stewart. I know you want to yeah. talk a little bit about what we're facing now. Like you said, just you know, it's been a rough five. If you really want to get really knee deep in the weeds, it's been a rough ten years. But we yeah. had that. Yeah. We had that. You know. Well, again, you've been covering the team now since you've been out. Yeah. Um, go ahead, Michael Stewart. I know you had a question. Well, kind of a two-part question, and, and how you doing, Dave? Um, good. Good. Uh, I'm a big fan of Nick Gates, and I a yeah. lot of times on this podcast, I, I always refer him, compare him to you, kind of like very multi-talented, diversified. He can play all different positions. Uh, do you see that same similarity in uh, Nick Gates and yourself? And also, uh, put your thinking cap on as a GM, and what do you think you might do with this team in the offseason? Well, number one, in regards to Nick Gates, yeah, scrappy, tough player, versatile. He's going to lay it all on the line. You see him once again, a guy that's going to fight through the whistle, brought that intensity to the offensive line. And I really think one of the key losses and two key losses for the Giants, just overall team, but specifically offensively, not just their performance, Nick Gates and Shane Lemieux, but the attitude that they brought to that offensive line and to that offense. That's something that's definitely missed right now. So that's easily something that you can see. And number two, right now, moving forward, obviously, I I, I don't know the the choices of what's really going to happen at the general manager position. I'm like everybody else. I'm not going to be able to sit here and speculate this is going to happen or that's going to happen. But we know, sitting here four nine, another losing season, not making the playoffs, changes are going to be made, and they have to be made. You can't keep going in this same direction. And as no, as much as this is the, the old cliche, you know, right now four games left to play, the progress of this team, that's truly what you've got to look at right now and move forward to see what you can really encompass right now out of this football team. 
There's a quote that I love that goes to sports or business. When you're winning, nobody can touch you. But when you're losing, nobody can save you. And that is so <laughs> freaking true when it comes to the NFL or anything in life. Yeah. And right now, I've been in this position right now where nobody else can save you but yourself. And that's where this Giants football team and the coaches have to dig themselves out of this hole and put something forward here to change the perception of Giants fans. You know, because looking back at last game, you know, to sit here opening drive, the minute that that third and two happened, then they rolled in shotgun in the opening drive. I threw my hands in my face just like this. You already had a seven-yard run by Saquon. You already had an eight-yard run by Booker. You're playing with Mike Glennon, and the weakness of the Los Angeles Chargers is their run game defense. Like, why wouldn't you expose that? As I said, especially when you have a backup quarterback like Mike Glennon. You know, if you want to continue to build and move towards progress, why didn't we see Matt Parrott playing jumbo tight end? I've seen a lot of NFL teams do it up against the Chargers, and they do it every single weekend. Give him reps, see what he's made of, and see what his toughness is. Because right now, that's the thing with Matt Parrott. He has the physical ability, but you can be a nice basketball player. You can't be a nice football player and offensive tackle. You know, that's something that's got to change. It's it's odd too, Dave, because like in the preseason last year, he was throwing Marcus Golden around like a rag doll. And we were like, oh, this guy's got a nice mean streak in him. Yeah. It seemed like he filled in nicely at the left tack. You know, again, it's not his, I guess it's not something he practiced a lot at, but he filled in those three weeks for Thomas on the outside. And then he just yep. disappeared. I'm just thinking, you got to get the kid reps. You got to yeah. get him reps. And that's what I mean. That's where that jumbo tight end extension not only helps your offense, where we've seen every offense in the NFL build off of the run game and get explosive yep. Yep. plays. And I don't care if you're Justin Herbert, their opening drive. It's very vanilla. Run the football, balance the tack, move the football methodically. And then what does it do? It opens up explosives. The Rams last night. We know that they're not the best running football team in the NFL, but what do they do? They do it consistently. They yep. stick with it a little bit. Now you force somebody to have to come down in the box. You create one-on-ones on the outside. It doesn't take a rocket scientist oh, to do this. Dave, <laughs> nine rushes in the half. Nine yeah. rushes. You look at the box score. They have uh, 120 yards rushing between the two backs, Barkley yeah. and Booker, 70 yards receiving, like – kind of like almost like looking at the new england game they didn't need to throw the ball 34 no. times no and you, in a game like that where you have a, a justin herbert in an offense like that what do you want to do you want to control the time of possession to keep them on the sideline you oh want to make God. sure you grind that game out and make it as dirty and ugly as possible because that's not the type of game that they want to play in that matchup and i think that's one of the most frustrating things you know for myself being a former giant for fans you know, coming off of a week where it was all about techniques, fundamentals, and getting prepared for this game in Los Angeles coming off of Arizona, none of that stuff was shown in the way that they went out and played in that game. Yeah, it's confusing, no doubt. Well, how about something fun? Let's talk about Andrew right. Thomas. Andrew Thomas is fun. Yeah. All right. So uh, when we interviewed, when we interviewed uh, uh, Rich last year, he had made a point to tell us how Googs, you know, kind of reset Thomas and yep. got him back to fundamentals, and that kind of helped him, you know, make some progress. So, and then he told us how, like, you know, Googs used to hold the cards for you guys and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, oh, yeah. He did so, everything, yep. So, you know, I mean, look, he's talented. He's made some progress year to year. Um, 
you know, you played a position, you worked hard every single year to make sure you were better than the year before. Where, where is Thomas right now? Because he's definitely the anchor, right? Can he yeah. continue to get better? Is there a high ceiling for, for Thomas right now? Because it seems like he's feeling a, the game is slowed down for him. And yeah. he seems like he's a lot more comfortable in his skin. No doubt about it. And he's definitely playing and striking with more confidence. That's something that when you play offensive tackle, you know, one of the key things that I always say from my background, I didn't play football until high school. Growing up in Chicago, we didn't have it. I was a basketball player growing up my entire life. Playing offensive tackle is no different than playing defense in basketball. The defensive end is the offensive player that has the ball in his hands. Eli is the hoop. You're taking the same footwork, the same cutoff angles, the same exact thing that you would do in defense, except you get to punch and be physical with your hands. So it's all about staying inside out, beating them to the intersection point, and making sure that you're firm with your punch and confident with him so you can restart or redirect his rush. And one of the things that I've always said is, is when you look at young offensive tackles, and this is something that Coach Flaherty and I've always learned, you've got to be a boxer and you can't be a gunslinger. Boxers always have those hands up. They're always ready to punch and they can counter anything. Anytime you see a young tackle pull those gunslingers and shoot from the hip, you expose your chest, your timing with your feet and your hands are off, and your balance and your ass isn't underneath the sit in case you get a bull rush. Those are all things that he started to build, starting to build confidence in. He's always had the athleticism, but that's the thing. It comes with time. It comes with experience. And now since he's come back from being injured and now fully healthy after those ankles, you're really starting to see the reaps and the rewards of it. And playing offensive tackle, it's not just as easy as going out and staring down the defensive end. You know, uh, uh, being a great offensive tackle, there is strategy to it, and it's a chess match. So think about it. We used to go through third and uh, on Thursdays, going through third down, third and two to three, third and four to six, seven to ten, and eleven plus. Kareem and I were always the sticks guys because we're always the last ones out in the huddle. So the minute that we'd get in the huddle, hey, 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 third and six, third and six, third and seven, third and seven. And we would say the blitz percentage at that point in the huddle before walking to the line of scrimmage, just to give you that last little reminder. Now you're coming up, you're identifying the defense. Is he a tight five? Is he a wide nine? Do I have a three techniques a little wider that can stun off of it? You start to get your perception and do it that way. Next thing you're looking at, I'm going, okay, defensive end. Is it odd or even with his feet? Because if his inside foot is back, that means that he can make an inside move on his first or his third step. Now I can pattern my set to that. If it's the opposite and he's got his back foot back, now I'm kicking twos and fours even. That's all processing while the play clock's going down and Eli Manning's going through the play call and through the cadence at the line of scrimmage. That takes time and that takes confidence and it takes experience. And hopefully that's what they're starting to build with Andrew Thomas. A lot of muscle memory. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because there's going to be some changes as we know. There's got to be some changes because, you know, the team has got to be built around the trenches. Yep. I think, you know, the Giants on the defensive side, especially they're going to put some weight on Ojolari. You know, you've yeah. got you got Leo. If he comes back healthy, I know he's got the elbow. They need another DN. They need an effective defensive end that makes offensive tackles like me or offensive coordinator to say, hey, we've got a chip. We've got a slide yep. protection. we got to have a guard inside in case he makes an inside move. That's something that this Giants defense desperately needs. Most of the fans are at the point now where you have two first-round picks. It's yep. either it's it's either drafting a tackle in the center from, from uh, Iowa, right? Yep. Um, 
Um, Linderbaum. He is an absolute stud. If you go back and you look at the game that they played up against Wisconsin in the fourth quarter, I think it's uh, Tyler Goodson, I think, is their running back. They run and have a big explosive run for a touchdown. Go back and look at that game. Linderbaum almost catches up to the running back. That's how fast he is. He's a Kelsey type of center. Really? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Most most of the fans are at the point where it's it's Neil Lindebaum or it's or it's you know Lindebaum and find me a defense end. In the first three yeah. picks, you really need to make them all trenches, like yeah. on one side of the ball, because yeah, we're, we're not getting after the passer and we're not opening mm-hmm. up holes. We're not protecting Jones. We're hoping Jones comes back healthy. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, Spartan, you got something you want to jump in here real quick with? And, and remember, right now, those those two draft picks are sitting at number five and six. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, fans think I happen to have – was fortunate enough to play a little college ball, and I, and I always tell them the same thing. Football, nobody tanks. So, so you need to stop talking about tanking. Like, no. one – if you, if you think about taking a play half speed, someone's going to put their helmet under your chin strap and light you up like a yep. pinball machine. Like you don't go half speed in football. There, there's no only, only one time in my NFL, you've obviously heard, and I've seen film where you're a little speculative on about a team tanking or not. There's only one time in my life where I really saw a team attempting to tank. It was when the Indianapolis Colts got Andrew Luck. That was the only time that you're sitting there watching <laughs> film and you're like, okay, this is, this is too obvious the stuff that they're trying to run in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, like I want to see them win on a, on a positive note. Want to see some guys put some string, a couple good games together. Yeah. They got their work cut out for them. And, you know, I know the big question is, is what Daniel Jones dealing with the injury or, you know, obviously Kadarius Tony on the COVID list again, you know, these are things that, you know, that you, you can't continue to have cap and, and pile up because number one, Kadarius Tony, essentially with this COVID thing, even though you don't want to say it, this is again where it's essentially a healthy scratch because yeah. of him not being smart and taking care of things. And then when it comes to Daniel Jones for the rest of the season, people are like, oh, well, would you play him? You're damn right I would play him. You've got to sacrifice and earn the right to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And I never forget whether it was in 2004 at the end of the season, 2005 when we were in tough games, there was no doubt in my mind or in Eli's mind that they were ever going to pull him out of the game or not let him play if he was healthy. Is it? Are we at the point now that just, I know they're all the players are major investments. There's a lot of money on the line, but they just seem like they're all shut down for a long period of time. Yeah. I mean, that's, and, and unfortunately you think about all the injuries that have happened to the giants and Maybe it's not NFL. happened at one time. It's sporadic at different opportunities, whether it's to the offensive line, whether it's to the running backs, whether it was Saquon Barkley, whether it's Blake Martinez, whether it's Peppers, whether it was Logan Ryan out for COVID-19 in a huge game where they needed him. Like you can just, anytime that that happens, it always happens in the week where that player has to play a key role in order to win that football game. That's the unfortunate part of it. But, you know, honestly, you build through these last four games, you see what these teams made up. Either you're part of the solution or you are the problem and you've got to move forward without a single regret when it comes to identifying what type of players you want to keep on this roster. Another thing, that's where the attitude and the culture has to change. I'm sorry. I'm not calling out any individual players because I would never do that, nor would I ever want anybody to do that when I was a player. But just overall, looking at the great landscape, this is a team that right now, you're not 
good enough to overcome a play and say, well, it'll happen the next drive. You can't do it. You can't have the penalties that you have. You can't have the special teams errors that they have. Because yes, when you're right now, it's like quicksand. One thing happens, you don't have enough ammunition to pull yourself out of it like other football teams. And it comes to a point in the locker room that as a player and as an individual, you got to go talk to other guys and get them on board and say, hey, you're not pulling your speed. You've got to you know, get up and you've got to change that atmosphere of the locker room. Because I'll tell you this, whether it was myself, whether it was a guy like Rich Soiber, whether it was Antonio Pierce, whether it was anybody in that locker room, if guys weren't pulling their weight, guys would step up. They wouldn't do it in a demonstrative way, but somebody would pull you to the side and grab you. Somebody would say, hey, you need to get your stuff together. That's a great point because it does, uh, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of people would agree, especially these guys and my team, like they're missing that leader. Like they're listening yeah. that, I, that like there's no identity to this team. And that's where, where I was saying earlier on the offensive side, where you had that gritty, that nasty old school New York style of football, Nick Gates, yep. Shane Lemieux, yep. Blake Martinez, yep. Peppers. Those are the guys that bring that type of attitude and that nastiness on both sides of the ball. That's something that you can't duplicate. Either you have it in you or you don't. And when those guys go out, Who's the next guy that's going to step up and say, when the play comes, I'm going to make it myself instead of looking to see who else is going to make it. Spartan, you got a quick question? I got a quick one. Uh, David, who was the toughest guy you ever had to block uh, in the NFL? And who was the toughest guy you ever had to block on the Giants? Okay. Toughest guy that I ever had to block in the NFL. You know, honestly, I would say probably the best overall Obviously, DeMarcus Ware. In my 11 years, in my career, you know, you always hear on TV when you turn around and you walk to the line of scrimmage, either the center of the quarterback, 54 is the mic, 52 is the mic, identify in the middle of the defense. In 11 seasons, the only player that we turned around and would say, where's 94? That's DeMarcus Ware. That's the type of impact that he had on your offense. Wow. You couldn't leave him alone on the backside. He'd run things down. You couldn't have him up against a tight end or a running back. He had that type of impact and was that type of player. I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, no doubt. But the toughest guy for me, believe it or not, Leroy the Boy Glover. I don't really? know if you guys remember Leroy yeah, Glover. Sure. Let me get a look at Cowboys, Los Angeles Rams. Oh, yeah. Leroy Glover was one of the strongest little stout fire plugs I've ever played up against in my life. He used to tape up his hands like he was a boxer. Like he'd have the full tape. And if you're looking at a picture of him right now, look at his belt. He used to wear a black leather dress belt that he used to cinch up almost above his belly button and be like, all right, let's get it on. That's the type of guy Leroy Glover was. Oh, my. How about on the Giants? (laughs) On the Giants, toughest guy? Probably strength. You know, my first year at playing right tackle was in 2004. And one of the funny things about me playing uh, right tackle in 2004 was I moved to that position five days before the start of the regular season in training camp. That was a lot of fun to get ready, get thrown out there, go up against Michael Strahan. I'm like, throw throw deal in there. He'll do it. I got a good move and I throw a punch and he'd counter with something else. I'm like, Jesus, what? I mean, he was so good, so prepared, so advanced with his just knowledge and understanding of the game. 
You never saw him run over the, the quarterback. He always was able to flatten out and keep his eyes. Great with his hands and counter moves. Could power, could hold up against the run. I learned so much playing up against Michael Strahan. I can just see that. Uh, who's going to go? Oh, put the deal guy out there. Let him block Strahan. Well, figure that's right. When we drafted Snee, they were bringing Snee in. He started getting into the groove, understood the offense. And that's when I bounced out from right guard to right tackle. All right, I'm going to give you speed round, and then I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go to bed. Perfect. All right. All right, real easy one. Speed round. Stadium you most hated to play in? Stadium I most hated to play in, Seattle. Really? Seattle, yeah. So I want to – I'm going to tell you this. I don't mean to get sidetracked, but I went to Seattle, the game where – wait, hang on. He missed three field goals that game. Yeah. Um. Oh my goodness! Why can't I remember the Jay Feely? Jay Feely. Yep. I was in Seattle, by the way. I went to the game in Seattle when he missed all three of those field goals. So not only for that reason, but the big reason—that's where I broke my 120 straight start consecutively. There, we played in 2010. 2010. We played in Seattle, and uh, I tore my right hamstring. Underneath my right ass cheek, 40% off of the bone on extra point. Oh, that's back when they used to have the double pushers. So yep. I had two defensive tackles in front of me. I had two linebackers behind them. And when they pushed, next to me was supposed to be Sean O'Hara. He was hurt. Next to me was Adam Coates. When he stepped down, our meshes didn't meet with our legs. My toe went up, and I sat straight down on the field. And then, Right underneath. So that's why I got to say Seattle's the the, the place that I just despise right now. All right. I thought you were going to say Philly, but Seattle it is. All right. No, I like playing in Philly. There was nothing like going there and silencing that entire stadium at the end of the game. (laughs) Nothing like it. Favorite teammate and why? Man, that's tough. I mean, mean, how could I? I, I'm sure you're still friends with all those dudes like Richie and Snee. Yeah. So, obviously, I got to go with my band of brothers, the offensive line guys. You know, but if I was – I'll say this. How about if I was to go into a fight and I needed somebody pound for pound in that <laughs> hole with me, Ahmad Bradshaw, that is the guy I'm going in with. That guy will scratch, claw, do whatever it takes to get out of that foxhole with you. And if you guys still go back to this day, we still talk about it. We don't know how – he was able to recover that fumble in 2007 on that opening drive. Yep. He dove and squirt underneath, and we still have no idea how he was able to come up with that ball. I can't even believe he would play some games with those feet he had. Oh. Just, all right. Yeah. Awesome answer, though. All right. Pass block or run block? Preference. Run block. All freaking day. All right. Impose uh, the on the defensive line and the DNs and take them over in the fourth and just bury him. I love it. I love it. I knew you were going to say that. Absolutely. Um, most intimidating or maybe, I don't know, craziest player you ever played against. Guy just off his rocker. Guy off of his rocker. Man. I mean, you got to be pretty crazy to play in the NFL in itself. And everybody goes to a different switch. You know, we always used to say the one person that, well, it was a lot of guys, but we always used to say, never wake the sleeping giant. Never get the guys that are 380 pounds, 390 pounds, pissed off because I don't care how big you are, if they're pissed off and they're going forward, you are not stopping them. 
There is one time I saw Chris Jenkins go absolutely crazy, and it wasn't because of anything we did at the offensive line level. All the running backs were coming in talking shit to him. We're like, dude, what are you doing? You're not even in here. Get out of here. Go back to the outside. Funny. Jenkins, big, big man, right? Those are the guys you don't want to get rolling. Uh, pre-game ritual. Uh, if you have one, what is it? And by the uh, way, I, and I, just I, so I, you know, just so you know, David, this, this, that question becomes, cause Richie, I mean, he told us about the puking and then, oh, yeah. uh, and, and what, what, what blew my mind was that Chris would throw up after the coin toss. Yeah. I mean, like I, I was blown away. I was like, wait a minute. He's like, oh no, no. I would go in the bathroom and then Kevin Booth goes, you know what? Richie used to put on a show. Richie would yeah. go in the bathroom you could and make all these, all these stuff. Bo- uh, uh, Booth had us cracking up. And yeah. then he, and then, but Richie's telling us that there's an intern with a bucket or something. So I don't yeah. know. You, you got any pregame rituals? I, I didn't have any of those. I, I mean, I played with guys in college. One of my best friends was the same way. Five minutes before going out for opening and for running out for the game, he'd be doing the same thing in the bathroom. You're, your butterflies, your nerves are going. I mean, you're you're going out there to play in an NFL football game. I mean, it's all laying on the line for those 60 minutes. So, yeah, Rich used to go in there, and the minute that I heard something, I'd be like, it's game time, I used to yell, because we used to know right away it's getting closer to it. Snee used to puke in the bucket that was right next to our offensive line bench. I wasn't like that. I didn't have that stuff, but I had my every single game. I had my routine. I got taped at the same time. I stretched at the same time. I had my same playlist going at the same time. I wasn't just superstitious. I was super superstitious. I did all that stuff. And then the last song, my my favorite thing that I would do, the last song that I would listen to before going out, I would put on the last of Mohicans. I'd have my dad's initials written on my gloves, and I'd say a prayer to him, and I'd go out. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely awesome. All right. Uh, I I got four more. Favorite post game meal and where? Uh. Del Frisco's big boy steak bone in. How did I need the big Fred Flintstone. <laughs> I thought I thought maybe you might have went with Carmine's, but Del Frisco's was my second. Okay, yeah, easy. Um, pranks. Everything that we hear from your guys is about pranks. What's the best prank someone's ever played on you, or what's the best prank you ever played on somebody? You know, I wasn't a big prankster. I never really got into that stuff. That that's just not my style. Granted, I had the rookies carry my helmet and shoulder pads and do all that stuff, but pranks just weren't my thing. The best prank that was ever played on me was after my first start as a giant. I break into the starting lineup. I just get done with the game. I'm all excited. I go into the shower. I come out, and I'm drying myself off, and I look down, and I am blue. And I mean (laughs) giant's blue. And it's dripping down, and you know – Whereas the first, one of the first places you dry off as a guy, everybody knows. Yep. I mean, I was literally blue from my neck down. The offensive line put invisible dye in my towel that soaks in when it gets wet. You know, like the money laundering or anybody yeah. in a bank that steals it, it has the, the little dye, the, yep, the sure. little, uh, like sand granules that you can't see on it. I was blue for a week and a half on my chest and down. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Uh, this one's cool because I was trying to figure it out myself. Speaking of which, I shouldn't just say offensive line. That was Soybert. There you go. Soybert. So Richie, Richie's, <laughs> Richie's in trouble. Me. Yeah. Um, how many tattoos do you have and which one is your favorite? Uh, 
I don't know. Do you count a full chest piece and both arms as one? Well, you I didn't mean, get I, them, but you didn't get them all at the same time. No, I didn't get them all at the same time. Um, I'd probably guess maybe both arms, leg, rib cage, maybe 18, Dang. 19. What is the is the uh, the Indian head your favorite one? Yeah, well, no, that's the the line I chief line I wick. That was the first tattoo that I got. You know, my favorite one is probably my uh, my big Croatian gerb, my tattoo of the shield. Okay, it's obviously it's on the Croatian flag. I'm a proud Croatian. Obviously, you look at the last name Deal, but uh, you know, my dad being from Germany, my mom being from Croatia, meeting in Chicago. You know, my dad was the only brother that ended up coming over and family here. So growing up, going to Croatian churches, soccer, you know, games and stuff like that, I was always too damn big to play. I knew that right from the get-go. Uh, but, yeah, I, I would say my, my Croatian shield, my, my gerb is what it's called. That's probably my favorite. All right, very cool. All right, last one. Which Super Bowl ring do you like better? You know what? You got to have a favorite. You know what? I, I love – it's hard for me because this is the reason why I'll say it. For me, 2011, Super Bowl 46 me, had a bigger impact and meant more to me because there was nothing like with your daughter being six instead of two yeah, to yeah, hold yeah. the Lombardi trophy for her to remember mm -hmm. and experience it. I mean, th th that's one of the greatest pictures that I'll ever have and moments in my life, standing on that podium holding my daughter in the trophy. So yeah. that's why that game meant more to me than 07. But when it comes to the two rings – I don't know what it is about my Super Bowl 42 pinky ring. I went jersey with it. I got a pinky ring for it. So uh, I like the, I like that it's smaller. It's not as big as the Super Bowl 46 ring. You know, it's just kind of clean a little bit. I shouldn't say under the radar, but it's a little bit under the radar. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, under the radar definitely definitely doesn't describe it. And, and there's nothing like putting on that ring for the first time. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, that is awesome. All right, so I'm getting you out of here because I know you got to go to bed. Yeah. Um, well, one, thanks for hanging out with us. No, That's my pleasure, boys. Um, you know, I, I apologize for stalking you a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, I just listen. We're, That's not stalking. That's called persistence, and it works well. We're here. <laughs> Excellent. No, and listen, and we we have fun. We try to bring everybody on once or twice. We've got so many good stories from Dave Tolleson telling us how can you complain about winning a Super Bowl but I punched Tom Brady in the balls and I didn't get any credit. <laughs> Dave, Dave Tollison and I have an unbelievable relationship. I absolutely love Dave Tollison, yep. what he works, what he stands for. And he was integral for me in the 2011 season because he was my scout team defensive end. So we used to go in between practices or before practices and watch film on the opposing defensive end that I'd be playing. And he'd work those moves against me in the counter Ooh. move. So he was he was an unbelievable teammate. He he was one of the first guys we interviewed like two years ago, and he was just so cool. And he's like, I was just glad somebody wanted to talk to me. So and you want to and you want to talk about originators? Cassius Mars stole his roundhouse kick. That's he a did. Dave an original. Totally did. Yes, <laughs> yeah, he totally did. We we asked him about that. I told you he had his role in because he's like he's like, look, I'm going to tell you this now. He's like. Go look right now. He's like, go find the picture of me sacking Tom Brady. He's like, I'm punching him right in the balls. And he goes, <laughs> and then he's like, and Tuck comes over the top and yeah. gets credit for the sack. And then the box score comes out 
and it's Tuck Sack. He goes, yeah. well, how can I complain? You win a Super Bowl. That was the greatest thing about it because Dave wasn't celebrating. He was yelling at Tuck coming off the field that he stole his sack. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great stuff. Yeah. Oh, we had, we had, we had, um, you know, Dominic Hickson tell us the story about Chase Blackburn, where he's yeah, like, man. like Dominic Hickson's like, look, you know, the only offer I got was to go to Akron. He's like, and then Chase Blackburn shows up. He's like, he should have been playing at Ohio State. So when we interviewed Chase, I said, look, you know, your, your Ohio brethren says he was surprised to see you show up. And he says, yeah, Papa Blackburn said, are you going to be one of those guys? Or are you going to be a man of your word? You already told the guy from Akron, Ohio, you were yeah. going. He goes, you don't make Papa Blackburn upset. He said, so yeah. I was a man of my word, and I showed up at Akron. Once again, talk about another player that came out huge for us. I mean, he was at home, came back in the middle of the season, and once again, balled out for us. One of the smartest football players in understanding of execution, X's and O's, and ways to game plan, especially it's no coincidence for any of us that he's a, a, a head special teams coach in the NFL. He he was yeah. so he was so cool. Like he missed, yeah. he missed, he missed, he missed our call, Dave. He was so apologetic. I'm like, look, man, I get it. He goes, he was like, Well, I'm dry. I had uh I was driving back from OTAs. He's like, I gotta get to Cleveland for my for my my benefit. And he goes, I'm just gonna tell you this. This is how I, I was not teaching school. He's like, I was laying on the floor when the phone rang. And he's like, he's like, and, and, and my wife says, are you going to answer that? He goes, it's not like it's the Giants. And his wife goes, no, 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 Chase, it's the Giants. He's like, yeah, 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 yeah. He, she goes, Dave, it's the Giants. So, you know, he tells us that one. And then he literally tells us, this is one that you'll, next time you see him, you can razz him on. If you don't know this story, that Spags, who everybody loves, yeah. gives, him a, gives him a tryout. Yeah. And he wants him on a plane in, in, in an hour. So he gets on a plane, gets there for the tryout. It's like 5.30 in the morning. The grass is wet. He's got no cleats, right? He's in the, he's in the, he's in the, the, uh, the Rams locker room yeah. looking for a cleats to wear. He tries out. He bombs it because he can't get any traction. He's falling all over the place. Spags puts his arms around him and he goes, I had to at least give you a shot, man. He goes, I know. I appreciate it. He goes, he goes, if you get desperate, you know, give me a call. I go, I'll bring shoes next time. Just great story, man. Like always get good story out of you guys. Um, thanks for hanging out with us. Um, My pleasure. You know, uh, you know, congrats on the, on the Sirius XM gig. Thank That's you. awesome. Um, love the work that you do with the giants. Um, the stop and shop, by the way, fantastic, yeah. fantastic work. Thank with them. You. Anything, anything that we can promote there for you on, is it still, is that, uh, Program still going? Yeah, still going all the way through Christmas, man. So every dollar raised gets six lunches and meals out there for people. So it's an unbelievable thing. So yeah, anything you guys can do to help, it would be a great cause. Okay, well, we're I'm going to produce this up tomorrow morning. You know, after my my real job, I'll produce this up. I'll make sure it's out. Um, I'll shoot you an email if you have any cool. you know you want. I can put in there. People, make sure you get involved. Okay, with David's uh, um, yeah, you know what? once you once you post it or whatever, I'll retweet it and just ask or whatever. That's cool. excellent. Yeah, we want yeah. to support these guys. We try to support all these guys that come on and spend some time with us. Cool. We get behind it. Um, you're watching another episode of the Giants, guys. That's David Deal, and um, you know we're out, and let's let's hope that we can pull off some wins, guys. Thanks for everything, David. <laughs> Take care, fellas. Hope to see you guys soon. Yeah, we'll Thanks, definitely Dave. bring you back in the off season.
Let's do it. All right, guys. <laughs> Take care. Oh,